Good morning. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Finally, it's not raining and the sun is out. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today, Sister Paulette Lamonico. Uh, welcome to Civic List Podcast. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're excited about um, and how you build community. Sure. So forward to it. In terms of your background, so could you tell us a little bit about your, what brought you into this, what your work is, what brought you into that kind of work? Good. Well, I'm a sister of the Good Shepherd. Uh, uh, our mission, which is a worldwide mission, is to work in particular with uh, girls and women who have really run into difficulty in, in the communities, uh, young people who have been traumatized. And so we take up that mission really seriously. Um, for the last 50 years, until I retired in December, I have worked for Good Shepherd Services. So Good Shepherd Services started out as a residential program for uh, traumatized adolescent girls, but has greatly expanded. Right now we're in communities that are very under-resourced. Uh, we're in Red Hook, East New York and Bed-Stuy. We're in South and Central Bronx. We're in communities where people are really, really struggling. And we offer a number of programs in those communities, many of them based in the public schools, to really help young people and their families have a better future. Great. And you had been at Good Shepherds for a while in your role as executive director yeah. Yeah. of uh, Good Shepherd Services. Can you tell us a little bit about these, the, your role there and you know, sure. the, the retirement process? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the things that I have stayed, uh, I have been an executive director for 39 and a half years, uh, is because my job was always changing. My responsibilities were always changing. We always continued to grow. We came up with some innovative program models that have been replicated around the country. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I thought it was, uh, it was very, my job was very fulfilling to me. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it had the benefit of helping a lot of other people at, at Good Shepherd. I mean, that's the overall goal, both our staff and our program participants. And along the way, I got to be a pretty strong advocate mm. uh, because it was really needed. When you see up close and personal what some of the challenges that our young people and families are facing, mm. the best of circumstances, you know that it's important to raise your voice. Mm. Mm. I'm really curious about how you do that because we've known each other for a long time, yeah. but I've never seen you at work. Uh, I've only yeah. heard stories that make me really curious. And so for our audience, I think they would also be curious to know, um, you know, how, how you find your voice and how you find the voices and listen to the voices of others. Well, as far as finding my own voice, when I was a young executive director, um, I had this experience with the, the Administration for Children's Services, which then had another name. I can't remember if it was BCW or Special mm -hmm. Services for Children or what. But I was trying to get a budget modification through. And the commissioner didn't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. 
So someone, a person who was working at ACS at the time, pulled me aside afterwards and said, look, if you're going to be a good executive director, you have to find your voice. You cannot let this happen to you. It's absolutely ridiculous. So I had to really work on myself because I was not necessarily, well, first of all, I don't even have a loud voice. So very often people don't hear me. But I had to, I wanted to do this, uh, wanted to hold this position as director. I wanted to do a good job. And therefore I felt like I had to do something to change myself and my reactions. So I got started to get very interested in social policy and the impact that unjust policies have on poor communities or communities where families are growing up in poverty. The, the communities are not poor. The situations that people are living in are poor. Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's what I did. I, I started to try to have an opinion, which of course had to be informed. I had to, I got very interested in social policy. I started to read a lot of things. I, I wanted to make sure that if I was gonna raise my voice that I had something to say and that I wasn't just running my mouth, you know? And so, um, you know, gradually I, I learned. And as I matured as an executive director, I think it's a real responsibility that older executive directors have, especially um, ones that were, as I was doing, running a, a large agency. Because sometimes people are, even if people who have the role of executive director, are afraid to speak the truth to government, afraid their funding will be cut, afraid of this, afraid of that, you know. they go through the same struggles that I went through. But if you are going to be a leader that cares more about the program participants that you're working with, that sees their struggles, you have to speak out. Mm -hmm. And so over time, I, I got to do that. And of course, being a, pro, a good shepherd sister also helped. I mean, I have to say that um, people people sort of respect the fact that um, if you're a member of a religious community, you're not really gonna, you know, lie. However, there's something else that was probably even more important is that we really had good programs. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't really afraid that people would, the government would cut our funding if I spoke out because I knew that what we were doing was solid. And I knew that we had good evaluations. I knew that we, I didn't need to be ashamed of the work that we were doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, another thing I didn't know about you until I read about it in the New York Times was that you uh, uh, are um, a fan of Robert Greenleaf, who yeah. as a servant, yeah. as leader, model and talks a lot about listening. Um, so I was curious about how you listen to other voices, how you uplift other voices, especially those that aren't heard. What's your process? Mm. Well, I have to say that really listening is something that I have had to work on my whole life because 
I like to, when I hear somebody in pain or when I hear somebody say anything, right away I want to run to a solution. I want to help them. The, the desire that I have in me to be of service is such that I, it just kind of compels me. So I have had to work on myself, to, again, to listen and to say, you know, my way is not necessarily the right way. I have to hear what other people think. And, what and I have found that my life has been very enriched because I have taken the time to really listen you have any examples of how that's worked for you or any any things in the past that help you you know become a better listener um i think just seeing the um well when it comes to work seeing the ownership that people take when they feel that they are part of the solution and that they're not just being told what the right thing to do is mm. mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I can give you a good example of that. A couple of years ago, um, we, we recognized that we want, needed to do something about racial equity and, and justice. And we needed to listen more to our program participants, to our staff, and not just rush to tell them what, what the solution would be. Mm -hmm. And so we embarked on a whole series of trainings, a whole series of steps and now we have a full-time uh, director mm -hmm. of racial equity we changed our mission statement why because we we listened i listened the agency listened and we were able to move wow um, i think it's easier to do that internally than to get government to move <laughs> yeah yeah it makes sense yeah yeah um <clears throat> What does community mean to you? What's your definition, understanding of community? Well, community has lots of different uh, meanings to me. First of all, it's the religious community that I live in, that I belong to. The Good Shepherd Sisters who are uh, providing services in 72 countries around the world. And so uh, not, it's not only Good Shepherd Sisters, but our partners in mission, individuals who, like the folks at Good Shepherd, who really share our values, share our mission, share our commitments mm -hmm. to justice and peace and uh, understand trauma and youth development. Those are all, they are part of my community. Mm -hmm. uh, Today, I continue to live in our residential program where we have 46 adolescent girls wow. living with us. And that's another community. Uh, when I was working, the other executive directors uh, that I would deal with, them, I would meet with, we, uh, many of us became very good friends because we understand what it is to, and share the same uh, joys and frustrations. And mm -hmm. then there is, most importantly, the communities that we work in. Mm -hmm. So years ago, we decided not to take a scattershot process in going after uh, government contracts to provide services. Mm -hmm. We went through, as part of one of our earlier strategic plans, we went through a process of identifying certain communities that we wanted to invest in. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
we felt that we could make a greater impact if we did that. And along the way, we really learned a lot. We learned how to listen. We learned that despite city contracts telling us what we had to do, um, we could use private money, which we had to raise, to address what needed to be done. Lots of times what we think needs to be done, mm. what government needs to be done, is not necessarily uh, what the community wants. And so listening to the voices, especially of young people, you know, in, uh, in, in the community, uh, to really listen and then try to respond to meet their needs, not the needs that, that we uh, think that they should have filled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it takes a discipline. It takes a discipline. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, <clears throat> so uh, what are you curious about right now? Well, I'm very curious about what's going to happen next. I think this is such a pivotal point in our history when we can really reinvent what it means to live in the United States of America, what, what, it, what it means to live in New York City. Mm. I, 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 I love history. When I think back on things like uh, epic times that have caused a lot of disruption, we've always had some wonderful changes. So for example, um, after the Great Depression in the 1939 and early 40s, we had uh, Roosevelt came up with the New Deal. Social Security, I mean, we just had, we invested in the infrastructure. We did so many wonderful things to rebuild an America that we wanted to live in. Mm. The same thing happened after the Second World War with, with the, the GI Bill of Rights. You know, education was open to all of our soldiers, all of our veterans. Lyndon Johnson and, and the Great Society, we, I mean, hadn't gone far enough, but we did, you know, we had Medicaid, we had increases in Social Security, we had more attention given to the needs of the poor. We're at another pivotal moment, an inflection point, that was the word I was looking for before where we have an opportunity to, to remake our society and who we really value. You know, it's interesting to see, uh, I live right across the street from a hospital and I, I look out the window now and I see a big oxygen uh, truck and all night they are refilling oxygen. Oh. And around the corner, a tent set up and on the other side of the street, once in a while, you see a, a uh, refrigerator van. Mm. And it just brings the impact of the virus very, very close to home. And I see how our staff who are here 24 seven taking care of the kids, I just see how courageous they are. I see the hospital workers, how courageous, you know, and, and what they are doing, putting themselves at, at risk. And so, Maybe we need to rethink our economy and who we value and how we, how we reward the people who are really essential to live for our livelihood, everyone's livelihood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to do more 
um, teaching will never be the same again. I don't know how it's going to be. I mean, I'm starting to think about that. Um, we've managed to bring computerization and connectivity into many homes that never had it before. Uh, uh, teachers are learning new and innovative ways. I mean, what is that going to do to college? What is that going to do to uh, just the whole way that people are taught? Yeah. Um, we've been talking for years about the need to rebuild our infrastructure. Well, so why aren't we doing it now? Mm -hmm. uh, why aren't we doing something that's of more concern than even the pandemic? And that is uh, climate control. And, and, and what's happening. So we have the possibility of inventing a lot of new jobs, new ways of working. And I think if we had the right leadership, it's a very, it's a very great uh, opportunity. Yeah, all right. all right. You know, one other thing I just wanna say, I just heard on, on the news last night that there are some people who would rather not come back to work because they're getting more from unemployment. I mean, that is disgusting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that is just terrible. Why, why are we living in a society like that where people have to um, struggle so much? Mm -hmm. now, in New York, we have a more generous state as mm -hmm. far as uh, raising the, the minimum wage and so on, but it's still not, not enough. So, so a lot of, lot of some wonderful opportunities ahead of us. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, thinking back in the past, what, what's the challenge that you faced and how did you face it? Well, <clears throat> well, with, uh, well I'm just talking about <clears throat> the virus and, and the impact of that. Mm -hmm. I think that while during my time as executive director, we had uh, several other downturns in the economy. Yeah. Maybe not as severe as this one, but we had 9-11 and the impact there. Uh, we had uh, Sandy, which had a tremendous impact on Red Hook, a community that we're very invested right. in. And um, I just think that it's important at times like this, uh, I think this is when courage and leadership really come to the fore. Mm -hmm. Courage and, 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 and leadership, you, uh, and thinking outside of the box, mm -hmm. and thinking about how, what, what the real essentials are, and what we can do without. And I know that that's what Good Shepherd Services is doing right now. They are in the process of trying, you know, we're in this um, liminal state right now where no one knows yet until we know if the state and the city will get some additional support from the feds. I certainly hope they do. Right. Um, so it's hard to know what funding is gonna be available for the programs that we've been operating. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, just normal to say that we know there's gonna be less of it. Mm. And so that's gonna have, you know, yeah. the folks at Good Shepherd are starting to really put their heads together and really think about that now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have, the blessing of being what I term of counsel. Mm. I can now, after 50 years and I'm retired, I can give advice when asked. 
I can help, you know, with connections or fundraising, although my successor is so great at it. Um, but I am not in, a in the position of having to implement. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like this is the challenge, you know, that we're facing today. Mm -hmm. And then you have some new distinct roles um, and opportunities that you can, you know, leverage your past, but also you know, have some flexibility today. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned discipline, I think, and I was curious how you stay motivated. You know, I've never really <clears throat> had a, a significant problem with motivation. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, because you, when you see needs, when you see how people are coping and the challenges that some young people and families have in their lives, it's, um, it's hard to be lazy. It's hard not to want to do your best to alleviate some of that. And actually, one of, the, um, one of the things that I'm doing right now, because I have a little more time, is to <clears throat> support um, the, some programs uh, that Good Shepherd Service uh, sisters have in the Global South in particular. Mm. So I have been on uh, a board um, that meets to try, first we thought it was going to be more about fundraising, like raising money to help some of the uh, programs that we have around the world that don't have as generous a government or the systems in place. But actually it's more morphed into being more about capacity building. And so helping uh, to move from a charity model to a human rights model. Mm. And mm. That, that perspective in, in working with the missions, if you will, that old idea of, you know, writing a letter and dear Sarah, you know, the, the orphans are hungry, please send me $5,000. That's over. That's uh, a model. And, then, and so that's the difference between the charity model is just kind of writing a check and then the yeah. human rights model is what? What people are really entitled to because they're human beings. Mm. What do we owe? Mm. We owe we owe anyone that we come in contact with with the dignity that they deserve, mm -hmm. with the best services we can give them, not just any old thing. Mm -hmm. uh, that that we reflect on what outcomes we want for them you know, for us to achieve in, in our work, you mm -hmm. know, 21st century expectations. How do you reflect on those expectations? What's your reflection process? Well, so uh, the Good Shepherd Sisters have a couple policy papers on, uh, on, on human rights. Mm -hmm. And so they sort of, they are the background of how we think about uh, peace and justice. We have a representative uh, at the UN. We have a representative uh, as an NGO in Geneva thinking about human rights. The, the, the uh, UN sustainable uh, goals are something that really influences our work. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are the guideposts, if, if you will. I didn't write these things, but I do try to, I try to implement them when I can. So those are great. Um, big and really important goals. Um, so, but I was wondering, what's a small scale type of action that you could 
that you think everyone could take today? Uh-huh. Well, one small scale is something we do every night. We go out and we clap. We appreciate yeah. at seven o'clock. Yeah. We appreciate and show it. Mm-hmm. What are what our young people, uh, what our workers are, are doing, our, our human services workers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some Good Shepherd sisters who are more contemplative. We have like two arms of, uh, we have those who are really working full time in the ministry and those who are more contemplative. They're making masks. I have some beautiful masks. Oh, wow. And now we're distributing. I mean, they didn't make them for, for me. They made them for, to distribute to our staff. Yep. Nice. And so um, there are little actions like that that let people who are on the front lines, where not, not anymore, say, you are valuable. We appreciate what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Really small steps. I think in the communities that we're working in, we are... Our staff who can no longer run after school programs because they're closed, uh, some of them are working in our residential programs so that they're filling back filling so that people who may be sick, because uh, we have, a Good Shepherd has sadly had some staff who have come down with the virus. They have, uh, people from other programs have come and have helped out. Uh, some of our staff are working in, um, those REC, uh, I think they're called RECs, they're programs where uh, students, children- Enrichment centers, yeah. Enrichment centers, yeah. Yeah. Uh So I I think those are all examples. Um, Yep. Just uh, stopping on the street when you see a homeless person and asking them, because now there's such a concerted effort to do something about them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, how, if you can help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are all some small ways. Yeah, that's great. I think there's much more, uh, something has been peeled away I, in, in New York City. Hmm. Um, people are m- much more aware of others. Some of it has to do with social distancing and six feet and so on. Yeah. But Folks are more um, willing to give one another a hand, to help one another. Mm. And I hope that this uh, new way of being more considerate for our neighbors is something that's going to continue after after we have been able to come up with the vaccine. Right, right. That would be great. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anything else um, that you're excited about or you want to share that we haven't covered? Um, can't think of anything right now. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this has been great. Um, really appreciate your time and getting to know, you know, your process and the listening involved and how you uplift voices and build community. Uh-huh. Um, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. It's wonderful to do this with my nephew <laughs> because <laughs> it puts both of us. It puts, puts both, both of us in a different relationship with one another. Right, mm-hmm. right. Glad to have that relationship, so thank Me you. Too. Me too. I'm very Enjoy the rest of the day. Yeah, thank you. Thanks.